1: With okay, got it.
0: Okay. Paul Mila back, who has an insatiable death wish, from swimming <laughs> with sharks, whales, and I just I get a, I get a text like two weeks ago, just beep, you know, look at it, and it's just Paul with like a giant, looks like a Jurassic Park alligator, and it's just like you, are you, are you I I can't quite tell. <laughs> Do you either have you either have tungsten balls, or well, you're well, just well, very. Well, you're very quickly trying to find out what the afterworld is like
1: (laughs) for the purists, It was a crocodile, not an alligator. Shut up. (laughs) It's
0: yeah, it's, it's, but that's what you're doing. And it's, I mean, I respect it. It's impressive. It's terrifying. I mean, I, I get scared swimming in lakes, but so what, so for everyone listening, uh, the first episode we did was about swimming with sharks. The second one we did was about you swimming with the, the beasts of whales Yeah. yeah, Third one, we kind of went off the rails and talked about all sorts of shit, but back to your, what is now becoming the theme of Paul is your insatiable death wish with creatures from the prehistoric era. What, what led to this or do they all kind of lead to each other? Do you do, do you do the sharks? Do you do the whales? Do you do the, so does it all kind of lead into one another?
1: Um, Probably a question for a psychologist or a (laughs) psychoanalyst to answer, but like can do for my untrained brain, all I can think about it is that basically, uh, it's, it's kind of like a, a kind of a wish, not a death wish, but a wish that when I do go, I don't want to leave anything on the table and say, gee, I wish I had done this, correct. that, and the other thing, correct? You know, um, and that all kind of started back when, um, I mean, I've always been interested in you know, kind of offbeat things going up, but let's face it, you know, we had, I think, a lot more in some cases imaginative the, the things to, to look at you know growing up watching Mike Nelson on Sea Hunt you know uh the Lloyd Bridges and and it was Jacques Cousteau and all those kind of things are kind of like water appetites and stuff like that but then you grow up and you get involved with life and things like that and supporting family and stuff like that but you don't lose that spark and then what kind of like really uh, uh led me to to really pursue this kind of stuff um is that uh and you do have a certain sense of mortality as you get older, not to dwell on that, you know. Sure. But, you know, I saw 9-11 happen in front of me, you know. I was on a, i was basically, on the day of 9-11, I was still working for MasterCard. And we were meeting with our um, uh, corporate client at that time with Citibank in a building in, I don't know if you know the geography of uh, New York City, Queens area, mm-hmm. but in, in Queens, across the river. At that time, now it's been built up tremendously over the last 20 years. But at that time, the only tall building on the other side of the East River there was that tall green building. It was a Citibank building. They had bought that building. Yeah. It was the only skyscraper there. We were in that building, and somebody comes running in during a meeting. We had an interior conference room, and they said they hit the trade center. I said what? And we go outside and we see this thing, you know, burning from across the river, and you can see the flames, and like we've, we you know kind of went back to our meeting and said well I guess they'll, they'll put it out you know not realizing that if you can see flames that far away they had to be huge flames you know it didn't compute you know but bottom line that, that happens and in the next couple of days all the papers are running these pictures and if you remember the New York Post specifically other papers probably had it but I remember the New York Post they had some of these pictures of the people jumping out of the building mm-hmm. One of them became famous and was the, called The Jumper. Yeah. It was one guy that kind of focused on. Yeah. 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 Falling Man. I'm looking, at, I'm, I'm looking at The Falling Man, exactly. Now I'm looking at this picture, and I'm saying, this guy started his day like I did. Yep. Okay? And if you were like some kind of an angel or a spirit that popped into his kitchen the day he was having breakfast with his family and said, I predict in three hours you're going to jump out of the World Trade Center building to your death. Is there anything more bizarre that you can even think of than yep. that happening? Yet you know, it happened. So it kind of like said to me you know what life is too serendipitous too you know unpredictable to say well when i get to that age i'll do this when i get yeah. there i'll do no i said you know what as soon as i have the ability which i was close to the point of you know the kids were almost off the payroll the passes almost paid off things like that you know i could do this my wife was working she had benefits and stuff like that i can do this stuff things i wanted to pursue so i just started to pursue them whether it was the sharks the whales i didn't play it on crocodiles but you know uh just doing this kind of stuff Uh, That's what kind of lit you know, the fuse on me to
0: get going. Well, I think that's actually, hold on, let me guess it. We've talked about that before, but I do Uh think it's brilliant. And I do identify with that because we have, we have these plans. I'm going to do this and then I'm going to go here and then I'll settle down here. And I think around this time, maybe I'd like to do this and start doing that. And it's sure. Sounds great. But it never plays out that way. And I remember always thinking when I was pre-med, I was like, you know, I'm going to be a doctor. And then as I kind of went through the steps further, I was like, I'm going to be a doctor. And I think, but I think I'll probably retire early. I was like, I don't, I won't practice into old age, but you know, I want to be an anesthesiologist. I was like, I'll just save money.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And I remember one day it was my senior year. And, uh, I remember I was went to the bars. And afterwards, I remember I was back in my bed, we'd smoked a ton of pot, and I was like, too high to fall asleep. And I was just thinking. And I remember thinking, like, what if not if someone said you're going to die tomorrow, but not if someone said you're going to die in 20 years, I remember thinking, we'll just hypothetically, we'll just say it was August first. I remember thinking I was like, what if I somehow knew with no, you know, what if a doctor told me you're going to die exactly one decade from today? 3650 days from today. It's it's long enough that you can't just go out and start partying now, right? I was like mm-hmm. you still have to have some income source. It's not like you're going to die in a week. I'm like, okay, I couldn't burn it all out now and I couldn't rely on friends and family to support me because that's kind of bullshit for 10 years. But mm-hmm. it's also short enough that you might not look at uh, a 20 or 30 year horizon and go, "When I reach this age, I'll move here and then I'd like to" and I really started playing with this idea in my head. And, um, and it's a, and it's a unique disease. You don't actually look sick. You don't actually feel sick, but you have exactly. So it's this weird middle ground where you'd still yeah. have to get a job, but you're not going to, you're not going to try to tr- climb the corporate ladder. Cause in the back of your mind, you're like, I've got this many years. So, so you, it'd be this really weird hybrid of like, you'd be still living your best life, but also still living in reality. It couldn't just be groundhog day where every morning you wake up do some Coke and, you know, go drive. No, it's like, it, there's this middle ground. But at the same time, Mm -hmm. you're not going to be working 80 hours a week and putting money in a whatever Roth IRA because, you know, that you're not going to see any of that. And I kept thinking and thinking, I was like, well, there's no way, you know, a doctor could know that. Right. But then I started thinking, like, what evidence do I have that 10 years from today I don't get hit by a fucking bus? What difference does it make? What how would my life be different in that time? And I started thinking, I was like, well, I really have – I have no I have no guarantee. What about an aneurysm? What about a terrorist attack? What about whatever? Mm-hmm. And it really started to rip my mind apart that I was like – and so I'd be studying and I'd be like, what if I don't – what if I just die partway along and I had all these dreams? And and then, you know, it's, te- it's simultaneously the worst and best thing that ever happened to me. But a couple months later after I graduated, we've talked about this, I lost my older brother to suicide. And mm-hmm. to me, I – now i was st- and i was you know it's terrible at suicide I don't, I don't, he was I 27 know. i was 23. but i always wow. think like what if that wasn't suicide like what if it was just a bus crash what if it was just a car crash what if it was just how would it be any different and how many things did he do that you know he was that he had been putting away and it kind of stuck in my head this whole 10-year scenario because okay. what if you get to the 10-year mark there are all these variables about this and is what if you get to the 10 year mark and then it turns out you don't die? Well, it's like, well, thank God you kept a job. So you still have some savings and you can kind of, and then, but then, you know, you'd be living this life and you're like, well, I still don't know if it's going to end any day. So you'd still be living this Venn diagram life of like, I can't party all the time, but I have no idea. And then the thought kept going what if this went all the way until you were 80 and it was never a reality? You would be so thankful. That you lived under the sword of Damocles thinking that it was always just around the corner. Just enough that you still had to have a job, pay your bills, don't rely on other people, don't be a burden. But you were also really sure that you were always about to die. You're like, I don't get it, I'm past the 10-year mark, I'm supposed to die any day now. And I finally concluded that I was like, wow, you you kind of just got to walk that middle line. You, you got to live in reality, you still got to pay your bills, you still got to have savings. Because what if you do end up living to 80 yeah. But also, well, I, th- well, I think what you're saying is, you could also be falling man tomorrow. And that's kind of what le- not kind of that is what led to me deciding not to go to medical school and over the course of seven years in the last two years building up this podcast. But I think that's why you and I connect well on this is we both kind of had that moment where we're like, dude, this, this might be over tomorrow. And so I got a granted, I sit in a leather yeah. chair and talking to a camera and you swim with dinosaurs. But, you know, <laughs> same idea, yeah. same idea.
1: Yeah, it's kind of like a big aha moment that yes. you have. You
0: know? Yes. And it, it, it's pure liberation and it's terrifying, mm-hmm. but it's also, you can't really, you can never unsee it. You can never go quite back into the rat race the same way. Because, I mean, no, I think about that. What was that guy possibly, thi- Just, seriously, eating cereal, thinking in three hours, I'm going to jump out of the World Trade Center? That's so, that's. That's like saying Tommy, you're you're killed tomorrow because a defunct Russian satellite de-orbits and hits your apartment.
1: Uh uh-huh. I mean, yeah. This that guy was like that was my thought. That this guy was probably having breakfast that morning, planning what is going to happen dinner, and thinking about what he's going to do that weekend. Yeah, it's Friday. Stuff like this. Yeah. And wow, I mean, who would have you know hitting a bus, getting hit by a bus, almost sounds more logical than that. I mean, that is like a that's lot the, more logical from anybody's mind. Yeah. You know? So. That said, said, to me like, you know what, you can't plan on anything really. You have to kind of like fill your life with as many experiences and good things as you can, and hope for the, for a long run.
0: Yeah, and it's no, exactly. I mean, and maybe he's th- maybe he's watching National Geographic the night before and thinking, you know, maybe you know, 20 years and the kids are out of the house. You know, honey, I think I might like to go swim with sharks. And it's, but I mean, but seriously, is like, and that's and that and that's a scenario we all know. We recognize the famous picture about an aneurysm
1: Mm -hmm. you just
0: drop fucking dead you just you know 30 you find out you have cancer like it's it's there and it's it's such an odd equation though because you can't just go all in and go you're right it's over spend all the money we're going to vegas well no because you know what if you end up living right Mm -hmm. so it's it's so after we had just had that philosophical rabbit hole Let's go into the alligator, you said for the purest, crocodiles or alligators?
1: It's a crocodile. Yeah. crocodile
0: not an alligator. So what, what kind of led to this and how did this experience differ? It, off the top of my head, I would imagine it's not as terrifying as sharks because you, at least you're not in, in their arena, being the ocean.
1: Well, luckily when I encountered this thing, it was somebody had already taken the time to uh, kind of uh secure its its feet you know, with, with rope or whatever together and, and duct tape its jaws so I, I probably, the joke is i'm really chicken of the sea yes. i don't see any chances so you know what happened we get this email from our administrator of the condo down there in cars mill saying uh we've seen a crocodile coming out of the mangroves be careful don't walk it if you're walking at night uh be careful don't have your kids be around unsupervised because there's this crocodile around we all think what happened down at Disney World a couple years ago where somebody's child got taken, remember that? Oh, yeah. That was news. So anyway, so uh, I'm saying, this has got to be a crock you-know-what. I can't believe this. <laughs> so, so I said, i got to walk around and see if I can find this thing. I'm going to see if I can see it. Because we have these mangroves between our condos there. And they, 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 they're, they're little paths, you know, wood pads you can kind of walk through and stuff and walk around. I said, I'm going to be very careful, but I want to see this thing. And I got outside and I saw this crowd of people, our workers, some of our workers who work on the staff there, kind of together. I walked over and sure enough, they had already found it. One of the guys actually wrestled it out of the mangrove. It's like, this thing is eight or nine feet long. He his shirt was all <laughs> torn and dirty and stuff like this. And they had tied his legs up with some kind of cord and put some blue duct tape around his jaw so it couldn't open up. And it's just sitting there looking at his breathing very slowly and stuff like this. So we I'm talking about, well, this is amazing how this happen with, you know, What's happened? The big picture is that because of the pandemic, uh, a lot of places just were very quiet, which allowed the wild, local wildlife to kind of multiply. I guess you know have a sure. chance to regenerate and also explore vacant areas. I mean, Long Island, we had geese running into Roosevelt Field because <laughs> Roosevelt Field was the parking area was closed. So you know, you know, animals will seem to repopulate the areas they've been kicked out of. I guess so. Same with crocodiles. So evidently, the crocodiles have been you know, multiplying and beginning to you know venture out and also in some cases there's been some building going on which may have displaced some habitat who knows why anyway so we have some crocodiles now so bottom line i get down to see this thing and i'm watching it and i get, you know, funny, the the people never had an idea like, let, let me take some pictures of you guys i said oh yeah great idea they had no idea So i'm taking pictures of them they took some pictures of me which is what i sent to you I said, I can't resist touching this thing. because You can see it breathing, you know. Its, yeah. it's, it's, it's ribs are going in and out and stuff like this very slowly. Its eyes are looking around like, you know, you know, get me out of here and stuff like this, you know. And I was shocked. I guess I shouldn't because people have said, like, crocodile or alligator boots are very soft and pliable. Whatever. I touched this thing on the side, and the skin was, was extremely soft. I, I thought it would be, like, rough. Obviously, the yeah. top the top part with those little jagged things is tough, you know, like armor. Yeah. But the side as I you know, kind of brushed it with my hand, it was very soft and just, you know, looked like uh, high-grade leather, which I guess is what people turn them into, if they, whatever. Uh, but it was an amazing thing just to kind of be close to this thing and touch it while it was still breathing. Uh, the good news for the crocodile, it was relocated to a natural park further south. So the, the crocodile lived. It had a happy ending for the crocodile. And uh, we all had a big charge out of our experience. So that, <laughs> that was kind of a low-key adventure, but it was uh, something that was totally unplanned we've talked
0: about this before with like the sharks, like, is there something, is there something primitive about seeing that thing up? Cl- and it's like this weird living time capsule from 300 mm-hmm. million years ago. And it's like, sure. We have in-flight Wi-Fi and Uber mm-hmm. eats. And it's mm-hmm. like, but here are these armored scaly, you know, like the pandemic, it's like the pandemic. It's, uh, mm-hmm. Do you remember that show, like, uh, it's like When We're Gone or something? There was a show on Discovery Channel or whatever, a year, History Channel, years ago. Uh-huh. It was, a, It was. I don't even remember what the premise, what well, the premise is is that all humans disappear just like that. There's no nuclear war. There's no pandemic. We're all just, boop, gone. And, like, what would happen? And you have, like, the fails, like, immediately you start to see, like, weeds growing. And then it's, like, mm-hmm. and then things like nuclear power plants, they have, like, fail-safes and they shut down and power right. lines. Oh, and, yeah, and it. then. Over over the centuries, like the glass on skyscrapers really is a, you know, starts to get abrasive and like the ones in Mm -hmm. Dubai break down before the ones in New York and all this stuff. But one of the things is like vegetation, but then animals sort of very quickly like refill, like within like two years, like Manhattan is like completely full of deer and stuff. There is something odd about. It's like the kind of what we're talking about, like the sort of Damocles, like, you know, being the falling man. There's something about society could be the falling man. Just like that, mm-hmm. this little like novelty of, you know, you texting me a picture. Hey, Tom, look at this alligator. Just like that, that thing could be the biggest problem <laughs> in all. Let's just say it's like me and Paul and a couple of our guys and we're like the lone survivors. That goes from like this. Hey, neat. Put it on Instagram to like, dude. There is a monster outside. There is a literal monster outside.
1: Yeah. Is well there- what's interesting about that what you're talking you're touching on it as far as uh being primitive and things like that. You know, we've kind of evolved over the past you know a few millennia that humans have been around, okay? Uh to some extent physically, but more I think socially, intellectually, and you know, that kind of way, you know. Whereas uh, the, the the animals that we encounter really haven't you know I mean they've so they yeah. evolved physically but you know pretty much they're the same the, the great white that I saw back in 2019 probably had the same thought process okay uh, as his great 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 grandfather shark you know several thousand years ago you know um, there is, when you see one of, the, one of these things in in person without you know glass between you and it like in an aquarium or something like that whether it's a shark or whales and stuff like this, um, you're seeing something that has, um, if it comes at you kind of like looking like it would have looked at you if you were around way back when, you know, yeah. it hasn't evolved. It's got that same look about it. Uh, it's, it's it's that same um, uh, dominance, if you will, where it's going to basically, you know, it's in charge, not you, you know. Yeah. And uh, it, it just comes at you and you, you feel kind of, small in in its presence, you
0: know, uh, I'm sorry again. No, no, no. It's like, it's like kind of like, there's other, just there's sort of these like primal things, right. You know, when Mm -hmm. you see a full moon and you're just kind of staring at it and you hear like the bugs at night, there's something that's like, it doesn't matter whether we're on the iPhone five or the iPhone 12. It's like, there's something so much deeper. Right. Or it's like you see the Great Pyramids. The Great Pyramids always evoke something odd in me because like Napoleon looked at it like J- if Jesus Christ went over there, he saw it. Buddha would. They all saw the same thing. There's something about a full moon, or you know, sitting around a fire like a crackling fire outside. There's something so deep and primitive. It's almost like when you hear a song from like in time of your life and it mm-hmm. brings you back to that moment. It's like that's what like a fire is or a full moon is. But it's like for us as an entire species, it's like it just pulls you all the way back in time to just this empires rise and fall. But it's just this whole wake up, you eat, you have sex, you reproduce, you grow old, you die. And whether you're like an ancient Sumerian or modern day Canadian, there are these the the crackling fire the moon at night, the rising sun, the rainstorm, just these. And that's something that is just as old, where like the moon and the fire, they didn't change. So when you see an alligator or a or a great white, there is something very, you can only imagine, is as built into us, some epigenetic. It, it, you know, know
1: what it is? It's when it looks at you. Yeah. It, it, it's interesting when you talk about this because um you know we all have these certain primal things in our spheres that we think we buried but they're really deep in there and it surfaces in the in the oddest ways and here's one thing i, I, I kind of read this a long time ago It kind of stuck with me because i used to do a lot of presentations and stuff like that and they said did you ever wonder why some people or many of us are so fearful when we're about to give a presentation but it a, you know it could be 50 people or 100 people you're in an auditorium you know uh, why why do you get so nervous? Well, obviously, there's there's the social part of that, where you don't want to you know flub and make a fool of yourself, whatever you know. But uh, they said it goes deeper than that. You have let's say 300 people looking at you, and what it, what's, what what is setting off inside you is a primal fear that's so deep that you don't realize it of not that number of eyes looking at you. And they said uh, the article went on to say that um, because when something Looked at you way back when in in primal days, or even in in current days, sometimes in in the animal world, if it's looking at you, it's looking at you for one reason: it wants to eat you. Yeah. They said the fear that people have, whether they realize it or not, they don't realize it because it's so deep. When you're, you know, beginning to break out in a sweat if you're in a auditorium with three hundred people waiting to start start speaking, it's because (laughs) you, deep in your psyche, there's a fear of being eaten. Yeah. (laughs) it sounds bizarre. That's what it really is. Yeah. And as an underwater photographer, I you know uh, I came upon this also uh, because uh, many times when you raise that lens and you ready to take that picture. All of a sudden, you know, even if you're trying to be very stealthy and very slow, the minute that lens goes up, the fish or whatever you're taking about many times will bolt. Just you're ready to take that and say, why? Why, why did it do that? What it is is that to a fish or anything else. The lens of a camera looks like the giant eye of something yeah and if the eye is that big what's behind the eye is probably even bigger yeah so the fish know yes. that if i'm being looked at by another fish it probably wants to eat me so when they see a photographer raise a lens that looks like this looks like an eye to a fish they're out of there you know so it's just kind of like again you know these, these primal fears manifest themselves in ways that we wouldn't even think of yeah in very bizarre ways so that always left me with kind of now i would still do presentations but i thought I say it relaxes me. I say, okay, I have to get over my fear of being eaten.
0: I'll be okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, well. yeah, you're right. Anytime that many, I mean, that's that's also not like a natural thing, even within like the Homo sapien history, you know, probably until somewhat recently. It's not at all a natural thing if every human was looking at you. If you were in a village, like you probably did something wrong. If you're in a spot, like, <laughs> are you about to be hung? Are you about to be ostracized? Are you exactly. about to be, you know, kicked out of the village? Are you about to be stoned? Like. What is going on? If everyone's look, did you just stumble upon like an imposing like army battalion and you're like, mm-hmm. and they all look up at you and you're like, uh, and it's just that's the last thing you see.
1: But are well, you naked? And you didn't realize it. Yes, <laughs> yeah, no, but, I mean, brother. there's
0: something like that, right? Where that it is very unnatural. For, even this podcast, like, it's only just me talking to some other person. You know, it doesn't really register if I look at a video and it has fifty views. That would terrify me, let alone a thousand. So, and it's also. I think we've talked about it before, but it's like that study uh, they did back in like the 70s or 80s. And it's like mice being scared of like like hawks or something. And there is an epigenetic imprinting where, you know, you can take a, you can take mice from the wild that like fear hawks. They fear the silhouette of a hawk overhead. Mm-hmm. You can take those mice inside, indoors and breed them. They have kids and then the kids have kids. And then the kids have kids, have kids, have kids. You can get like eight, nine, ten generations over the course of like a year to the point where none of the mice alive, none of their, none of even their grandparents lived in any other place than this like artificial, you know, whatever, like just, you know, almost zoo type area, like indoor, completely climate controlled. And then if they've, they find if they, if they, you know, on like a zip line overhead, if they did like a circle, they didn't even really notice it, whatever. And then if they would have maybe took a silhouette of another mouse and dragged it across the quote unquote sky, mm-hmm. it was whatever. And then they do the silhouette of the Hawk and they all go a primal fear, bury under the ground, just zipped on. And it's something that's, imp- none of them have ever even been outside of, and they can't, right. they can't read. They're not watching old documentaries about, they're mice and they live in this little tiny, little tiny box.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You got to think that there's, why wouldn't that also be taking place in our minds with
1: Yeah. yeah the genetic imprint or a genetic memory. Yeah. Uh, that is in our gene somehow that uh, I may have the same fear of something, even though my parents or myself never, never experienced it. But you know, way back generations ago, for some reason it gets into your genes. it's imprinted in your gene somehow i don't know how it happens but yeah that's i've read about
0: yes exactly -hmm. yeah so you got to imagine that there's something and then so even farther back would be like you know our 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 monkey ancestors or our gorilla ancestors and then farther back from that before them was like a weird type of shrew thing right after the dinosaurs went extinct like so at our like most core area there's got to be something that like seeing a shark like look at you like just kind of those dead black eyes mm-hmm. there's got to be something deep 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 inside of us that's like uh-uh no way
1: you, you do feel it i can i can tell you right now when, when a shark looks at you um it, it, it you get a certain feeling in you that um you know obviously if you have some experience you're kind of trained to override that but you don't mm-hmm. panic uh now obviously if i wasn't trained or whatever i hadn't had experience it, I'd be out of there in a second. I'd be bolting in fear, but I'm kind of trained to override that feeling, but that feeling is still there when it, when it's interesting, when a shark looks at you. Okay. It's like, uh, an, Oh my God moment. Okay. Uh, when a whale looks at you it's different, yeah. uh, maybe, I don't know if it's because a mammal has a different look in its eyes or intelligence, you know, when a shark looks at you, there's, there's only, it's going through an assessment. Either you are food, a threat, or just part of the background. That's about it. When a whale looks at you, uh, obviously it's, it's thinking, well, not, it knows you're not food, but it's smart enough to know you're not food. It wonders probably if you're a threat, maybe, or you know, whatever, but they look, you know, how puny you are, you know. But there's a different, you can you can feel a different intelligence. Or maybe it's because they're mammals and they have a different brain and stuff like that, and we can relate to them better. I don't know what it is. But to your point, yes, when something looks at you like that, you feel that show. That yeah. Can you...
0: Now, can you explain, cause kind of that overriding thing, you know, I have on the special forces guys on here a lot and they talk about learning to override your fight or flight. You know, you can't lose mm-hmm. your shit every time a bullet flies by, they got to, you know, they, they keep their calm, their composure. You always hear yeah. reports about that of Delta force guys and firefights. All the young Marines are going crazy and the Delta force guys are just kind of sitting there just, you know, it's another day at the office, but they also talk yeah. about, I've had, you know, Joe Teddy on here and, uh, You know, he was in the most elite special forces you can get, CIA special activities division, James Bond shit. And he talks about like in a firefight, like they're trained, you know, when they start to get tunnel vision, you don't freak out. Oh, my God, it's tunnel vision. No, it's like, you know, they always say, like, put one kneecap on the ground and uh, like shake your head. And it's just they've just learned it. It's it's no different than, you know, the social settings of you feel like a fart or a burp coming on. But you're at dinner with like your new girlfriend's parents. You know, you're just like, just put it back down. Now it's not the it's not me and my buddies hanging out drinking beers and you fart and everyone's like, oh, fuck you. You're like, now's not the time. I'm at a very nice restaurant. Her father's a doctor. Keep it inside. And they kind of talk about training the fight or flight. They know to just not freak out when bullets fly by. And also when you do start to get the tunnel vision, you just learn to get it away. Whereas if that happened to me, I would absolutely lose my mind. So aside from the training, can you kind of talk about what is is it can you even put it into words but what is it when the shark looks at you like what can you explain that
1: yeah um well it also depends on what what kind of shark we're talking about biggest um, baddest and,
0: motherfucker. you know
1: because there are nurse sharks there are certain sharks you know prefer sushi to prime rib. Yeah, no so no I'm no
0: there. i want i want the the, beast, we're talking about a great way, the yeah. beast
1: when this thing looks at you um you know, just to take a step back, before you even go into one of these experiences, the experiences, the the scuba operator or tour operator or whatever will ask you, have you seen sharks before? Have you been with sharks before? If you say no, they might say maybe this is not the, the thing for you where it might, you know, give you a, a quick tutorial on what to do. But let's say even when you're trained, you, you, know, you say, yeah, I've seen sharks before. I've been with them. Okay, fine. Okay, good. Okay. So that, that, that takes out some of the thing when you first see that, Shadow coming towards you. You're not going to freak out and bolt to the surface, okay? But that being said, now you get past that point, and now here it comes, okay? Getting closer and closer. You're wondering what its intentions are. You don't really know what's going on. It's an animal brain, you know. You know, you might be used to having sharks around you, but what if the shark is having a bad? day animals have bad days. Well, they might be cranky another sure. <laughs> other day. Yeah. You know, if it's having a bad day, and maybe it's either hungry, but had not eaten for a while, maybe it's got a pain in its side, and it's just kind of feeling watery, and it's going to snap at the first thing see it sees, which could be me, you know? So <laughs> You know, you, you feel that, you know, looking look at you, and the, the first thing you, you, you kind of assess is, okay, are there any more things around me? Is, is it me or is the two of us together here or whatever? And you kind of, like, assess, okay, if I need to move out of the way quickly, is it? do I have an exit plan here, you know? Uh, so you do think of those things, but you're kind of trained to maybe be not falsely secure, but you're kind of, you, you know that all things being equal, you're probably not on the menu because you're different from what it normally eats uh, and you kind of feel a certain degree of security. It could be a false degree of security. You know, um, you almost think you could get away if you wanted to, which is the biggest mistake you can make, having been with barracudas one time uh, in, in a situation where all of a sudden, you know, we know, we, we see, you see barracudas all the time. They're curious, they kind of go past you, whatever, and you think, well, this barracuda was kind of like, I could probably get away, uh-uh. I was in the middle of a situation one time where these Barracudas it was a fish that was being kind of like eaten by its, it's, it's native, right? It's, it's the local population. You know, it's kind of half eaten, but still alive and a couple of Barracudas and they both had the fish scattered. They, they, they saw what we didn't see. Two Barracudas are coming in from the, from the blue barreling at a high speed. And when these Barracudas hit this fish, you realize, oh, that's how fast a Barracuda can go. Ah, okay. If it wanted to do something, there's no way I'm getting away. Yeah. You know? so, you do get from your training a, a certain degree of, maybe it's a misplaced security or false sense of security. But, um, you know, to your point, uh, you just kind of like have to, you, you know, you, you kind of take a deep breath, you kind of gulp, you kind of feel your inside kind of tighten a little bit, but you don't panic. You just kind of say, okay, all things be well, Things should turn out. Okay. Yeah, that's all you can do because unless there's a physical barrier, uh, like if you're in a cage that's a, uh, very you know, heavy duty steel cage. That provides a sense of security. You feel, okay, you know, I don't care how big the shark is, it's probably not going to be able to break the cage open like it did in as you, hope, you know, uh, but, uh, but if there's no barrier, um, you do feel more exposed, more open, and the only thing you can do is kind of like just work through it, you know, uh, logically. You have to, like, have your fear and your logic kind of over, override your fear because it's the sense of fear you have is almost primal. You can't, you can't stop yourself from feeling a certain amount of fear. Whether it's a stomach tighten, whether you feel sweat breaking out in your arm, it's going to happen. You know, uh, the thing is, can you override that with a certain degree of logic and experience, even if the logic might be a little misplaced? Maybe you know you really can't get away if you want to but you have no choice but to kind of like assume things are going to go okay. Follow your training, and just don't do something stupid like try and reach out and pet this thing or, t- or touch it or aggravate it. You know? Yeah,
0: it's well. Even the Delta Force guys say that. Like you don't want to be fearless. So you're fearless. You're you're a liability. You're yeah. you're an idiot. You want to have, you want to understand fear, but be able to. Hunter S. Thompson said it. He said, uh, he said fear is like a wild animal. He's like keep it in front of you. You can mm-hmm. even put a leash on it, and you can have it pull your cart around for you, but always have a shotgun pointed at it. <laughs> understand yeah, how yeah. to
1: put it down. I mean, like you know, I've been able to be kind of in kind of in control of the situation or at least control of myself. However, if suddenly this thing really exhibited some kind of aggressive intention or something like this, uh, and I had nothing to defend myself with other than maybe shit with my camera or something like that. You know, um, I don't know how I'd react. I mean, uh, you know, I'd probably, uh, have an accident in my wetsuit.
0: Yeah. (laughs) I would. I'd shit my pants. Of
1: course I would. A hundred percent. I would. Um,
0: Um, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's, I was thinking, like, just kind of thinking, like, what would be the next thing you go for? Man, I think you got to go, I think you got to go mess around with some, like, Kodiak bears. I think that's the next step. You've done, I think what you've, I think you've already t- tackled the scariest. You've tackled sharks, which are, hands down, they're the scariest. They're the most lethal, most lethal, and they live in an environment that is alien to even the most well-adapted scuba diver. It's still an ocean. You did not evolve there. I think I think oh. you've done the scariest. I think you've already skydived from space. I think you just go a little lower. <laughs> I think I think you got polar bears or some Kodiaks or big old grizzlies.
1: Well, isn't it, that's a, that is, you just touched on something interesting as far as skydiving from, from space or in the water or whatever. I have a, a very strong sense of heights, a fear of heights. So you know? oh, I'm terrified. Get me on top of a building and I'm all of a sudden. Oh, 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 I can't, yeah, I can't breathe. Get get off a, a roof onto a ladder, going back. I can onto the roof, but coming off backwards. I'm when on I like stand
0: a, on a stool to hang up the sound panels six feet above me, okay. I'm like, oh man, I'm a, I'm up there now. I'm three feet up,
1: and I'm I'm. Uh. But here's, here's the thing, now when when you're diving, you're weightless pretty much as long as you know you're 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 properly weighted, and the whole intent is to be what they call neutrally buoyant. Mm-hmm. So you, if you want to go up a little bit. You might take a deep breath and that makes you more buoyant. You go up a little bit. You exhale, you'll go down a little bit. So you're basically neutrally buoyant, right? And say so you're diving, you're doing a wall dive. Okay. So this this wall, typically in many walls, you have you know 60 feet of depth might be the ledge, and then the wall begins to go down. And in places like Cozumel, this wall goes down to over a thousand feet. So now you're against the wall and you're looking at the corals and the turtles and the angel fish and stuff like that, you know. And then, so the wall is like this right now. If you're here, as you begin to move out off the wall, yeah. okay, you're now, you know, all of a sudden, you see behind, below you, but what's under you now is not a, a couple of feet. Now it's like 20 feet below you. The further you go off the wall, for so the wall's sloping, right? Yeah. Look at the other walls, 30 feet, 50 feet. Before you know it, you lose sight of the wall depending on the water you're in. And because of you know, you have 100 foot visibility. New York, maybe you have 10 feet of visibility. But let's say we're in, in, in the Caribbean, okay, nice clear water, and you have 100 foot visibility. So you're looking down, and now you're off the wall, and now you can't um, see the wall anymore. And the wall is now gone. You're out in the deep blue. What's below you goes to a thousand feet almost, okay. Oh and you're, you know, I'm, I like I, said, I have a fear of heights. Okay. Even if I could see down there, like maybe I could see for a couple hundred feet, not even probably hundred feet at max. But now you go up there, so intellectually, you know it's, it's deeper down there. And they, they tell you it goes down to a thousand feet, whatever. So now you're out there, and you're kind of like just kind of floating. But I have no fear. I don't know why I should be afraid that I'm suspended over a thousand feet of depth below me.
0: Yeah.
1: Okay. But for some reason. I feel very, very com- comfortable doing that i'm never going to skydive out of a plane i don't think i think i don't think i could handle that you know just looking out of a, <laughs> you know jumping out of a good plane no yeah no. you know um so you know so i don't know what controls that all that, all that stuff. i don't know why i'm afraid of being a ladder 20 feet off the ground but i'll let myself drift off a wall so like i have like you know maybe a thousand feet of of, of drop from, of space below me and, um maybe i know i can't really slide. So i could sink if i you know a few things, but you know, uh, you're just floating there. So I, I, I lose that sense of fear. I have no, I have
0: no idea why. Well, it's probably that real sense of security, like what you're talking about, is if you're in the metal cage, you actually do feel secure. If you're in the aquarium, and you see the beast. Mm-hmm. You're like, I, I know I'm good. There's probably something where, you know, we think like humans, we do have like a functioning brain, and you can go, yeah, I know that's a depth, but it's also, I'm, you can't fall. It's actually very difficult to get down that far. So hey, here's, a,
1: here's another thing along the same lines. Um, let's say you're along a wall and you, you're down to like, they don't, they don't want you to go below 80 feet, 90 feet, maybe. That's that's a dive plan. But it's very easy to kind of like, as you're watching things, to lose track of where you are, okay? Especially on a wall, because there's no bottom. right? You're just go along the, you can go along the wall. So you're only about a foot off the wall, but the wall's sloping. So now all of a sudden you look at your depth gauge, oh, I'm 120 feet down. I should go up a little higher. But... You can get what's called a. Um, uh, what is this happening here? You can, you can get a um, a downwelling, which is you know the current along. Well, there's always some current around, but for whatever reason, maybe it's because it gets a little colder and it sinks. Whatever, the water is spilling down along the wall like an underwater, undersea waterfall,
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: and you're trying to go up, and it's kind of pushing you down. Okay. Now, all of a sudden you're at hundred feet and you want to get 90, 80, 70, but you see us going 105, 110, and you're working against that. Okay. And you can't it's completely, completely overcome that. Now I'm getting, now I'm getting worried. Now I'm getting scared. Now you're trained to do certain things since that particular thing has ever happened to me. I don't know if I remember my training, you know, you, you, you want to uh, <clears throat> first inflate your, your BC with the air, push you up. That doesn't work. Take out your weights, dump your weights, and eventually, hopefully, you can counteract that downward force and get yourself up. So it's like, well, I have no fear of falling. And if I can't get back up, all of a sudden I'm having a, a pre-panic moment.
0: Yeah, my friend David O'Neill's a scuba diver. He's a he's kind of hardcore. I'm like, what do you? I think he does like underwater, like spelunking, like going into caves and shit. Oh yeah. Fuck that. Yeah. No. But I was like, what? Are you, I was like, what's your training? And he he just keeps a three fifty seven with him. I'm not even kidding. He goes, oh yeah. He goes, I'll just fucking shoot myself. I was like, I was like, that's that's hardcore. I'm good. I stay on the land. But but there is something weird. Like back to like fear of heights. Mm -hmm. I don't Mm -hmm. get scared flying. I did for a little while, but it went away. I don't get scared of flying. It's a very odd thing skyscraper go up i love skyscrapers i think they're the coolest thing ever i never want to be in them go up even like you know 10 you know spring break you know going to panama city even just being 15 floors up stepping out on the back porch there's something where i'm like i have one i can feel it right now as i'm saying it. i can feel my hamstrings tighten i keep one foot like behind the sliding door there's just i don't even want to like go over but get in a plane and you go to 40,000 feet. Now, at one point, you could argue, well, at that height, it's abstract. You know, you're not looking down. Okay, well, even at lower, even when it's just taking off, I still don't feel it. Even when I'm looking down 2,000 feet, see little cars, there's something that I just don't feel. It's just rationally not. I, I, I just don't. And I know I'm not. I know there's You're probably safer in a skyscraper than a plane because it's not a moving thing. But I, I don't mean- feel that. But standing on the 20th floor, looking out of a window, I feel that. I feel like the, ooh your stomach. I was watching a clip last night of like Crocodile Dundee. There's some scene where there's like a jumper or something from one of the skyscrapers. And I don't know what it is. It's from like the 80s. I've never seen it. But even watching that clip last night on my little six-inch iPhone sitting in a leather chair, and then, you know, the camera pans over the edge. And it wasn't even, it was like 10 floors. Even that, I was like, huh. I just kind of felt, you know, they go up and down my spine and, like, my arms kind of got a little weak. But throw me in a plane five miles
1: up, I don't know. I guess it helps, I guess it helps to have a, you know, you, you have this Ceiling. thing around
0: you. Be secure. I, I don't know. Kind of a, yeah, kind of a cocoon.
1: Um, I know that Aloha Airlines flight a few years ago on top of the fuselage. Oh, yeah, ripped
0: off, off the 747.
1: And, and some of the people, there was a few people, but the rest of the people were still, you know, they were strapped, strapped in. And they, they made it. They got down in time. I can't imagine what that was like but uh, you know just a thought about what we we're talking about earlier also you know encompasses some of that plus you know the serendipitous of, of this of, of life and then the news this past week one of the astronauts that went over with William, William Shatner
0: oh yeah uh, died in that small plane crash died
1: in a small plane crash in New Jersey just the last week yeah so now if I said you know, what do you think is more dangerous taking a rocket into outer space? We're getting into a small plane whatever now i know small planes have a higher crash record than, than commercial airliners. that's that's a statistic we don't know that but still okay plan one get into a spaceship that's you know semi-tried you know semi-proven you know go oh, up space yeah. come down splash down get out or hop in a little plane in new jersey and go for a few miles of land which is more dangerous and this poor guy dies in the in the new jersey plane crash of a little plane after he's been in space uh, a week earlier with william shatner i mean what is that all about is that you know
0: and then and then you can extrapolate that one more step and be like, you know, I could look at it and go, yeah, man, how did he, he died in the plane crash and not go into space. But the reality is, is when I get in my car and go to Walmart, I'm at an even higher risk of dying. And it's, yeah. but it's okay. just rationally not there. And we get in the car every day. And it's, I don't know. It's, it is kind of hard. Maybe it's, we're just playing on those, maybe those deep fears we're feeling is that epigenetic imprinting, right? Because heights, that's there maybe yeah. flying in a plane it's because it's so new it's not imprinted on us it's in the last 100 year last 120 years I yeah versus like the ledge looking down that's there that's the ape looking over the cliff that's the you know pre-homited true looking off the tree branch like that is a very, maybe that's what it is is it's much deeper in us and then you underwater looking off the edge that's not necess- that might not be imprinted as deeply. Out of all the humans, uh-huh. out of all of our ancestors, I'm sure a large number, but relatively probably a minor percentage have been in the Caribbean looking down off of a ledge, right? I mean, look at me. I'm I'm a white Irish guy. My ancestors were not were not skin diving in French Polynesia. We're, you know, dying from potatoes and vodka. But right. you know, it's like versus heights that's something that whether you're in Eskimo or whether you're in Egypt, it's still kind of all there. Right. So it's, yeah. there are these kind of much, I don't know, much deeper, you know, getting eaten by an animal, a height, you know, those are kind of things that's probably more universal. Yeah.
1: I, would, Not that yeah. I, know.
0: I don't know what I'm talking about. Fuck if I know.
1: <laughs> what do we all know? But yeah, I mean, it's just uh, <clears throat> you know, you can't figure some of that stuff out. I get a little shaky watching pictures you know, they obviously don't see those old black and white pictures when they're building the Empire State Building. Oh, my God, yeah. You on those girders. Yeah. And I think, there, wasn't there a tribe of Indians that they wanted to hire, especially because they had no fear of heights? Yeah. I mean, how does a how does a, a, a specific tribe of human beings have no fear of heights? What is what is that yeah. all about? Is that because of their training? Mean, I don't know. It's, it's like...
0: That is a good point. I don't know. That is a good yeah. point.
1: But, when, but when, I, when I see those things... Uh, I think, oh my God, you know, it's, um, um, where, where does that come from? You know, and I feel I like, I can't, I have to turn the page. I
0: can't, yeah. I can't keep looking at both pictures. Yeah, no, it's, yeah. And, and well, a huge thing is, is also like the riveters. They're like three man teams. They'd have a guy yeah, that would use time. like a torch. he would heat it up the second, or no, I think it was four man team. Second guy picked it up with tongs and would throw it. The third guy yeah, had this like metal catcher's mitt. He would catch it. Fourth guy would pick it up and rivet it in. They're also paid per rivet. And so it's, you know, you gotta think it's Great Depression era. Man, you're getting a penny per rivet. Maybe they just don't give a shit. They're just like, screw it, <laughs> just do the work. I don't know. But I know with like uh on the Burj Khalifa, that eight hundred and twenty-eight meter building in Dubai, uh there's a oh, there's yeah. a cool video on uh I think it was CNN years ago about the window washers and their logic was I mean guy just looks straight at the he just you know deadpan answer he goes above 10 floors your death rate's 99.9 percent he goes once you're above he goes i'm more scared at eight or nine floors because it's like well i could actually survive but once you get to he's like the difference between floor 80 and floor 180 the only difference is i'm getting paid more He goes, you're it's just as you're equally dead so i don't know maybe the logical mind can overcome it i don't know maybe it's within that lifetime
1: you could train. Well, how, how about these guys? I just, I was watching something on TV recently where they were talking about these, um the fellows who, uh, the free climbers who climb these caves, climb mountains. Some have well, ropes, they have ropes, but some of them don't do it without ropes. Alex Honold. And, and they, there was a guy climbing El Capitan.
0: I think it's Honold. Uh, yeah.
1: Yeah. And you know, I'm watching this guy go from point to point and then the foot goes up and then they, go, you know, they have a web. But it's like, I can't imagine doing that knowing that one false step you miss a step you're gone i mean i just i just i I can't i can't process that yeah
0: i don't know man it's you gotta almost imagine you know some people it's you know some people work very very hard at their talent and then there are some people that although they work hard they're also just you know even as a kindergartner you're like she has a beautiful voice like she's going to be singing you know or it's mm-hmm. like that guy practices really hard, but he's also six eight and he's like super like agile. Like he's gonna be the NBA. Maybe there's just something, you know, in a large enough population, maybe there's just a percentage of people that like you know, some people are colorblind, some people are double jointed, maybe some people that just that part of the brain's just turned off and they see a height and they're like, Yeah, I mean, yeah, I hope I don't mess up, but you know.
1: You're talking about parts of the brain, that's interesting because I was watching I think it might have been on 60 Minutes last week about people who were heroes. There's a fund, there's some kind of a fund, a heroes fund that was started by, I forget who started it, where this group of people, in in honor of somebody, uh, they put this, well, the Andrew Carnegie Fund. For some reason, Andrew Carnegie started this fund where they would give a certain amount of money over the course of a year, 10 to 15 people who were heroes, defined as putting themselves in danger to save someone else's life. And they interviewed some of these people who did these kinds of things. um, Like, you know, um, stop the robbery by, you know, throwing themselves in front of the guy with the gun or whatever, whatever they were doing. And uh, towards the end of the show, they said, we we contacted some neuroscientists to find out what makes some people heroes. And what they found, there was a difference in their brain. That certain part of their brain was overdeveloped as far as Creating empathy for the plight of other people. Okay, and the other part of the brain, which conditioned themselves to say, you know, don't do this, not not a good idea. That part was underdeveloped. So they said because when they interviewed the people, they said I didn't give it a thought; I just reacted. So they said, well, okay, what's the common thread here? And the common thread, when they had these neuroscientists do brain mapping, certain parts of the, the people's brains were overdeveloped as far as caring for other people and underdeveloped as far as the fear of danger that they had for their own life and maybe it's something along those you know physical imprints in people's brains that, that affect how they have it how we react i don't know but that was an interesting show that they had on about two weeks ago i think it was
0: john bastone was marine on i think iwo jima or okinawa and i think and not to i say this lightly or relatively Apparently he was just another Marine. He was, this wasn't some highly trained Jason Bourne. And, but they said it was was more common than you think that out of every X number of Marines, every hundred or every thousand, you would get these guys who there was no signs of it. There's no way you could predict it. But when shit hit the fan, these guys, just some guys just stepped up to the plate. apparently John, not, not reckless again, not being fearless, like very aware that he could die. But I think it was it was Okinawa or Iwo Jima. We'll, we'll just call it Iwo Jima. Apparently, he was you know running up and down the lines. He was replenishing everyone's ammo. He was covering fire, covering fire. He was sweeping caves. And it wasn't a death wish. I mean, he was married. I think he had two young kids. And after several days, uh, he was gunned down, and killed. But everyone remembers Bastone because he was just this dude that was just like he just st- he was like, listen, the more of us that act like this the more overwhelming of a force we will be and the less Mm -hmm. of us will die now if we all kind of tiptoe into it we might all die versus like hey some of us are going to die let's reduce that number some guys were just they were just like that they just they just turned it on there's something i remember learning in evolutionary biology and it was called like uh because fitness capital f is defined as there's like two types there's the number of progeny that you you have that get uh that grow to reproductive age so you can't just have a hundred kids you also has to you also have to be able to provide for them you know shelter shelter the wife you know go get the food there's that's like f1 i think if i'm recalling correctly and then like the even more kind of powerful number is the number of grandkids you have that make it to childbearing age. So it's like if you have kids successfully raise them, they have kids and successfully raise them, that is like, I don't remember what the equation is, but that's an indicator of your capital F fitness. Mm. And what they actually started to find was in all sorts of animals, there was also like, they called it like the altruism gene. But there would be like, you could actually have a very high fitness level despite never having a kid because maybe your brother has a kid or you're in a little village and your three best friends have kids and you never have kids but you're out there every day helping going to kill the whatever the gazelle or the bear you're bringing back the food you're helping bring back the firewood you're helping defend it from other people and you indirectly aided the rising or the the raising of these kids without you they might have died. And so they called it like the altruism gene. So even though you weren't involved, there was something deep in their mind that was like, why am I... Because they couldn't explain it because normally it's like, well, you know, why would a dad, you know, jump in front of the kids? And it's like, well, it's biologically connected. It's their offspring. But then there mm-hmm. were guys that's like, these weren't their kids, yet they were still there guarding the village, whatever. And there was something that was like this sort of like group mind that they knew that they could still enable the the raising of these offspring and so in a way it was there they had that and i don't know maybe that's part of it i don't know if that would it kind of plays into what you're saying but i mean it's kind of like a billionaire dying and giving 99 percent to some cancer charity it's like there is some sort of like yeah what am i going to do with this money what are my kids going to do versus how do you apply it to the greater i mean you really want to take it to a, a, a dark place, but you mean right? You'd say like kamikazes in Japan—they're going down. Our empire's falling, and we got to start taking drastic measures. Now, obviously, as an American, I don't like that idea, but you kind of get the same idea. Hey, I'm going to go plow my plane right into this fucking aircraft carrier, and I'm going to do more damage than a hundred of you could do.
1: Right?
0: It's an odd thing. Yeah, just different parts of the brain developing, and I don't know. But probably one of the
1: one of the um, most um, common. Uh, examples that we talk about you talk about in especially in military circles is the guy you have ten guys near a foxhole all of a sudden the enemy throws in grenade. a live grenade and one one guy will jump on the grenade and he knows you know i know I don't know if he realizes he's gonna he must know he's gonna die, but for some reason that sense of protecting his comrades overpowers his sense of self. He jumps on the grenade grenade you know takes the blast, everybody else lives he dies. What's that all about? I, mean, I, don't, I don't see me. Do- <laughs> I see me saying, You go first. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't see you doing that. Yeah. You know. I don't know what. I don't know what instilled that in somebody. I
0: don't know. Yeah. There is something though, where it's like when you read accounts of that, people will say like, you I know, mean, there was no premeditation. There was no like, okay, well, I'm the closest to the grenade. It's just this mm-hmm. instant, reflexive. You take it out. I don't know. It's. I've had on Howard Bloom, who's a brilliant scientist and uh one of his books called the global brain is all about how groups of peop groups of any kind of animal whether a bumblebee or human and whether it's a group of three or a group of three billion they all act in ways that when zoomed out behaves like a single organism so like you know, mm-hmm. you look at like a flower, you're like, Oh, look at there's a flower, and you zoom in and there's like individual plant cells, and then you zoom in and there's proteins, and then you zoom in and there's atoms, and you see every atom, and you're like, Oh, yeah, there's an atom and there's the proton and the electron, but you zoom out and it's a blossoming flower, or it's a caterpillar, or it's Tommy and Paul talking. But you zoom out all the way, yeah, and it does it doesn't behave like atoms, it behaves like Tommy in a leather chair, right? So one yeah. organism. Yes. So there that same thing happens to where if you zoom out in both space and time, so you zoom out and maybe look at like a satellite view of a city. And then instead of our normal lifetimes of, you know, today is a day, you look at what happens in three years, the entire thing will act as like an amoeba, or it will do things where it will sacrifice part of it. So the rest of it Mm -hmm. grows. And so what Howard's Whole hypothesis is, is that we are unconsciously acting as parts of bigger brains, and and although no one can individually explain it, it acts as an in, none of my none of my sing not a single cell in my body is saying let's do this podcast yet. Here they all are acting in coordination to do this thing, and none of them are aware of it. So that's what he says: is whole groups, whole populations whole countries, whole societies, they act in these ways that no one person is thinking about, why did we do that? Why do we, yet, you know, it's all the birds flying in one perfect flock.
1: Like a communal self. Yeah. Yeah.
0: You got to think maybe, but within it, none of them know it. So within us, we're seeing it at that sort of atomic level. And we're like, why did that guy jump on the grenade? But it we're seeing that sort of an unexpl- inexplicable thing but to the greater organism it's like well yeah i had five humans there and there was a grenade and instead of losing all five i lost one and saved four but we don't see it as that we see it as this weird why did he do that he's a hero but yeah. you know it, I, I don't know it's it is odd and then it really doesn't make any sense is he like got you swimming with sharks <laughs> this whole thing of self-preservation. Yeah. And then you just got Paul. It's like, fuck it. I'm just going to go swim with these things. And maybe it's like,
1: I it, maybe I do have a death. Maybe I do have a death. I don't know. And
0: it's like, what's the, oh, is, is, is Paul extracting like a rare chemical from a shark for, no, he just likes sharks. And well, actually, no, he doesn't even like sharks. He's terrified of them. And <laughs> yeah.
1: Maybe there is some chemical inside me. Well,
0: Hey man, I'm just as unhinged. I mean, I could have been a doctor and instead I'm doing this thing. And it's yeah. like, wait, Where's the logic in this? Where's the outro? I don't think, and of course you and I, yeah, but then, you know, you're crazy and I'm crazy. So we're not going to call out each other's craziness, right? It's the pot calling the kettle black. So you're like, I, you know, you're like, I swam with sharks after I witnessed 9-11 and I'm like, my brother killed himself. So I started a podcast and we're like, that makes sense. Everyone listening to this is like, these two guys are criminally insane. (laughs) But yeah, man. Yeah, man. Um, Let's wrap this one up. Okay. And I, um, as always, would love to t- love to chat with you again. What's on the uh, and as always for everybody listening, Paul's books and your photography, I'll put it in the description as always.
1: Thank you.
0: And so what's next? You've tackled sharks, whales. Um,
1: well, as far as the uh, thr- thrills and spill stuff, I don't know yet. I have to kind of like see what I'm missing. Uh, but I'm just going to you know, keep doing this as long as I like, physically can keep doing it. Yeah. As you get older, you, know, you realize the string is getting shorter. Oh, yeah. Uh, so as long as you keep yourself in good shape, you want to keep doing this stuff and not, uh, you know, uh, end up in a in a rocking chair someplace.
0: I do respect that yeah. you don't want to jump out of planes because neither do I.
1: Yeah, that that's yeah. I think I'm I, I'm, I'm calling the uh, the halt to uh, skydiving and, and parachuting and things like that. Not, that. that's one risk I'm not going to take. That, yeah. I, you know, that's that's we had senseless. But um, snakes, you, know. you need to mess <laughs> with snakes. I won't. I yeah, i Yeah. I have a. I think a lot of people have a, a primal fear of snakes. That's and that's probably that's evolutionary. Uh, me personally, yes. I will keep them. No, no. I'll I'm
0: it. saying. I'm I'll saying you should. Stuff. I'm saying that's what you should do next.
1: <laughs> oh, I don't think so. No. Uh, give me a list. And I'll I'll check them off for you. I don't know. You me, me a list of things. And I'll I'll get back to you. And see what, what 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 picks my interest, but. P- People who have
0: watched this podcast this long, have, if they've sat through this whole episode, comment. We'll see how, just how many people. I don't think anyone comments on any of these. Comment, and we'll see okay. if Paul will do it. I think. I think like a, I think like a like an anaconda or like a water moccasin, that that would be terrifying. Well,
1: and, when I when I see these pictures of, uh, with these snakes in the in the you know in the, in the Amazon, where the snake is like you know. Uh, has a huge bulge in the middle of it and they cut it open and find a person in there or something like that you know uh that that kind of like you know okay we'll, we'll file that away for no but, something up the list but but
0: you but no you can't use that logic cuz you swim with That's sharks great.
1: Sure, so you're right. Yeah, and then probably I can run faster than a snake and swim. 100 oh, percent. That's not a. Can, I can, I, you know, I can run a snake. So I'll probably. Okay, that, that makes sense. But that's not a
0: legitimate answer. No, because <laughs> you swim with sharks. That's what I said. Is like you've dealt with this in most yeah. insane one, so you can kind of go. I would say that my my uncle. My, my uncle did like security he's from new england he's a fish and game guy I think he's in his 60s now but a couple of years ago real outdoorsman but a couple of years ago he took a job up in like inside the arctic circle in alaska and he was doing security for like uh not not oil rigs offshore but like onshore like uh oil operations he he did like perimeter security for bears and he kept like he had like a shotgun i think he had a desert eagle like a 50 cal pistol and he had a couple other things and it was like he would if he saw one and it was a threat he'd shoot from a distance and he i think he always kept like yeah like a double barrel or something and he was like if it ever ran at you you'd shoot he's like because i have seen them run before when they opened their mouth but what i remember him explaining and i'm just now thinking of this this was years before i started the podcast but he's kind of explaining what you're talking about he's like when they run at you He's like, time slows down. Like you just, I think he describes it as like a furry tractor. It's running at you. It opens its mouth. And it's, there is this prime over you like, that is like a beast that was like written about in the Bible.
1: Yes. <clears throat> um, you know, probably now that you mentioned it, uh, I don't know if I could deal with the cold water, but uh, seals is, is kind of an I've seen a lot of uh, uh, situations where people have had great encounters with seals. Now, there are seals and there are seals um you know the ordinary fur seals that we see they look kind of like and fuzzy in the water like see them nibbling at you know people's fins and they kind of kiss the divers but you hear about encounters with leopard seals it's a whole other animal uh these things are pretty ferocious they like to eat meat as well as fish so i would probably draw the line at that but yeah you know, now that you mentioned it i wouldn't mind going you know like in the cold water would be it'll be a tough for me to handle but um and something in, in you know arctic antarctic with uh, seals would be kind of like cool i I could i could see you
0: doing something like that i think that man i think no i'm just thinking bears snakes is snakes uh, they're kind of but there's something about snakes the fact that they're not like overwhelmingly large there's something about the the bestiality of the shark of the crocodile there's something about it not just being primitive but also just being
1: large yes and and in control they're in control of their environment it's they are the apex predator you know, and bears can run faster than people can run, so I don't think I would. Yeah, and they, I would they, a bear.
0: Yeah, well, that's that's exactly what I mean. It's like you've already stared death in the face, so you can't. You keep pulling out this this rationale card. You've suspended rationality. <laughs> I think, I think grizzlies, an enormous. You go out there with like a with like a guide. You go out there with a guy, right? Mm-hmm. Just like you do these other things. I think that's what you need. That
1: okay
0: snakes. And I was thinking like lions, but I feel like you can't really go mess with lions in the wild. They're probably mm-hmm. mostly protected. And elephants mm-hmm. seem more like whales, that they have kind of an intelligence.
1: They do. They do. Um, yeah, I mean, well, what I'll do is I'll have my wife up there on insurance policy and have her give you a call. And you can make. I'll just you can give her some
0: suggestions. See see what voids your policy and what doesn't. Or, <laughs> man, I don't know. Maybe we just got to go hardcore. I don't know. Maybe we just throw you in like the the Middle East or something. Just straight up war zone. Maybe that's what eventually. Maybe that's where this leads is you joining the military, and becoming. I mean, like, that could be interesting. Yeah, I don't know, man. There's <laughs> got to be something in there. I'm just trying to think of. You know, the one other thing that I think would be just truly horrifying would be getting in like, like one of those ultra deep submarines, like a bath sphere or the Trieste. Going down to the Marielos. Mario, yeah, I would love to do that. See, that, that so you cool. like wow. All
1: right. And, yeah, I could, I could, do that. Okay. See, so
0: yeah, that's no, that's not for me. No.
1: I mean, you know, I, I, you know, claustrophobia I can kind of overcome. I have a little sense of, you know, I don't like to be too confined, but I wouldn't call it claustrophobia. So I know I can handle that. Yeah. Um. Uh. One of the things that people that scares people away from scuba diving is they feel claustrophobic with the mask around and you kind of limit your vision and sure. you feel having various equipment and stuff like that. I never got that, so I could probably handle going down to the Marianas Trench and uh, finding maybe megalodon. That would be really Fuck yeah. very cool.
0: If you're gonna do that and die in the process, at least live stream it to me so I can get some views on the podcast. I'll
1: try and get you a tooth off. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'll be like,
0: Paul died for this podcast. There you go. Yeah, I was gonna say, you know what? You know what scares me more than anything we've talked about? I don't know. I don't know. Bottom of the ocean, kind of terrified. But you know what really gets me? What is? being on the moon there's something about that that just scares me there's something about being all the way up there and i know there's nothing there i don't know what it is there's something about the moon that is just terrifying to me i love to look at it but you know when i watch those videos of the astronauts kind of running around i just think of like what happens when the cameras are off and you're just kind of back in the little ship and you just kind of and it's just you and like one other friend on this entire basically planet. Something about that's unnerving to me.
1: What um, I, I kind of like that, that's that's something else I kind of like gravitate towards, uh, pardon the pun on gravity. But um, the one thing that terrifies me about that aspect of it is I saw I, I forget if it was 2001 Space Odyssey or one of the uh, Star Trek movies, whatever is being in that situation and then having your suit punctured by a little meteorite or something like that, because I saw this movie one time where the guy's suit or his face plate or something gets punctured, and you see inside the all of a sudden he turns to like you know you're agonizing death for a few seconds, frozen, and it becomes a skeleton that just turns to dust in a few seconds, like you know that that kind of like in, in outer space environment that you know, you're unprotected. That could be a body. See that, so that, that. That would, that would, that would terrify
0: me. That, that See, that wouldn't bother. Like I'm less scared of drowning than I am being deep underwater. Cause it's like, okay, this is going to really suck, but it's, it's done mm-hmm. and I'm over. Right. But it's ultimately death. Right. I think I'd be more scared of standing on top of a building than I would jumping off. Cause you're jumping off and it's, it's death. It's, you got a couple seconds, whether you like um, it or not, whether you come to pizza with it or not, it's, it's just going to be over. Right. You know, I don't know. There's, See that doesn't like like losing oxygen. it would be like, yeah, all right, you know, a couple of moments of terror, but there's something about just being up there. I don't know. See, I don't think you wouldn't
1: feel like you're up there. You'd feel like you're down. You're, you're it, it, down here on the it, moon. No,
0: no, no, no. It's not a height thing. No, it's not. No, I know it, it would feel like this, and yeah, the Earth yeah. would look up there. No, it's it's not. It's not that. It's I don't know. I, I Just just you, just up there,
1: all and by like. That's a loneliness would be kind of like take you crazy, right? Maybe,
0: but it's not even like loneliness on Earth. Your loneliness up, and then part of your mind would be like, "I know there's nothing up here, but like, how sure am I? I'm like ninety nine point nine 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 percent sure."
1: What is on the dark side of the moon? What? I mean, <laughs> what
0: happens if you go on the dark side? No, I think about because you know how like the the LEM, what is it, the lunar something module? The lunar
1: excursion module. Yeah, it, it
0: goes right and it shoots down and you have the, the one that goes down to the moon and you have the two mm-hmm. guys on there and then there's the one right. that orbits. Right. But the one that orbits does go on the dark side of the moon and you're it out doesn't. of radio contact for like 90 minutes mm-hmm. and there's no light pollution, there's no nothing. Now on one hand, you'll get the most beautiful view of stars that any human's ever seen before.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But I always think like, what if you're on the bat and you just not even, I don't know, but you just see like an old relic, just something like Verna von Braun partnered with like Disney. I know I said, we we're going to wrap this one up. I lied. Verna okay. von Braun partnered with Disney. And if you remind me, I'll, I'll text it to you. But it was this whole video about, you know, the exploration of space and kind of, you know, getting the public hyped up for it. And it's mm-hmm. you know, pretty accurate. Like, you know, t- like prediction of what it would be. And this is before Apollo. Um, and it's going on the moon and it's orbiting around, and it's all this other stuff and what we would have, and radio signals and doing tests and you know multiple stage rockets, all that good stuff and it was all you know it's the nineteen fifties like you know we're in space now, but and it never gets addressed but here's this guy who's the head of the Apollo program, who's the head Nazi rocket scientist, and in this thing that he directed mm-hmm. they talk about like they go on the dark side of the moon and One thing they were going to use is they had these like orbital, almost like flashes, like a flashbang, and they'd Mm -hmm. shoot them down, and they were going to illuminate it and then take pictures of it. Kind of Uh a genius or whatever. So they were going to map the moon before we sent men there, which is eventually Mm -hmm. what we ended up doing. But you're watching this film, and it's like, you know, they're shooting the flashes down, and they're just mapping the different areas. And then, like, one of the times they shoot, like, a map, they shoot a flash down there, and there's just this old... It almost looks like a, like an old, like almost like Machu Picchu, not type, but almost just looks like these, not even like a great pyramids where it's still in shape, but you know, mm-hmm. those really old relics where you can kind of just mm-hmm. tell where the foundation of a house was or something. Mm-hmm. They're looking down and they just see this whole kind of like structure and it's clearly like completely defunct, broken down, but they see this thing that's very clearly uh, created by some intelligence, but it's been dead for a billion years. And like the music is like, dun, dun, dun. And you see the two astronauts looking over. And then the rest of like the 30 minute just sort of program continues. And it never gets addressed that the the head of the Apollo program was like, what happens when we find structures on the far side of the moon? And to me, there's something more terrifying about that. And I can't put a finger on it. I can't. I can explain why the shark is scary. I can explain why height is scary, right? But there's something about, I don't, just dark side of the moon, just you. And you just, I don't know, maybe light glints off the spaceship. And just for a second, you just, it looks like you're looking at like, just these ruins. Like, Do you even tell anyone or do you just pick up the other astronauts and just take that to the grave?
1: I got a funny feeling that's what already happened, that they took the, took it to the grave. Uh, I've, I've, I, I, I kind of wouldn't be very I would not be surprised at all if they had seen, if they have seen things on the dark side of the moon and not reporting it for whatever reason.
0: The Brookings Institute, that think tank, which is up there kind of in in institutionalized, I don't know, kind of established, it's up there with like the Rand Corporation. Mm. The Brookings Institute put out their own like kind of internal paper, in like 1967 or 68 when the Apollo program was well underway, way, but we hadn't landed on the moon yet. And it was on the chance that we find life or that we find remnants of some other civilization on the moon. What do we do? And it was con- I believe, and I could be fake news. I think it was contracted by NASA, regardless of who it was contracted by the Brookings Institute, this very established, respected Institute or whatever, put out this thing and they said, well, you would not tell the populace because you wouldn't want it to kind of collapse the existing order because religion kind of kept society in touch, whatever. Mm. And it was also kind of implied that why would we want anyone else to know? Because what if there's some goodies up there? What if there's some technology we can reverse engineer? Right. Mm. How would you know? And it's who would be able to call your bluff and said you're up there all alone. What do you do when you actually... You go find this thing. Who would you well, tell? Who would believe you? And does the government tell you to shut up?
1: That's that's the biggest fear, I think. And uh, maybe you can wrap it up on this note. That um, one of the maybe one of the fears that at a governmental level we have about you know finding out who, somebody else might be out there is that from our own experience, every time a higher civilization encountered a lesser technologically advanced civilization. <laughs> the lesser one got wiped out. You know, that starts Going. in Columbus, right across, you know, yep. without, that's been our experience. Yeah. So say so that wouldn't happen on an interstellar level.
0: Yeah. Every time a ship shows up on the shore, the women were about to get raped and the kids and the, the fighting age males were all about to be
1: killed. That reminds me of one, <laughs> I think it was a Twilight Zone episode where they, they encountered another civilization, you know, an alien civilization, one of the friends, and they were making them, they were having them, they were making a book up And it was called, you know, How to Serve Man. And everybody on Earth said, oh, this is wonderful. They want to learn how to serve us. This is, you know, know, work with us. Fine. It was a cookbook. Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I
0: just took, I have a sore throat. I just took like a Cipasol drink and super. (laughs) Okay. But no, you're right. That's what it would be. If they're showing up. When is the last time any group has ever showed up somewhere else with their best of intentions in mind?
1: Yeah, and even if they had good intentions, things kind of always evolve in a different way. Yeah. Maybe we said this for another show. I don't know. We said this, you know, for a bandit, which is kind of interesting, but, you
0: know. No, it's, no, 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 it's, it's, hold on. It's, yeah, even if it is good intentions, right? It's, well, eventually it leads to, let's, what do they call them? savages, that's what they call the Native Americans, well, first you meet them, and it's like, we need to democratize them, or you know we mm-hmm. need to teach them. And then it's like, oh, well, they don't really want a part of us. And it's like, all right, well, then kill them. It very quickly goes dark every time. Was, right? fast, very fast. We, we go there with open arms, and we're like, join our society. And they're like, no thanks. And we're like, well, we really like this land. They're like, it's yeah. our land. It's like, you guys have bow and arrows. We have cannons. Get fucked. Why, sure. why wouldn't it be that? And it's also... Yeah, I I mean, who knows? Like, would you just keep it quiet? Because, what if there is no technology to re- reverse engineer? Is there really anything to benefit other than wild instability?
1: Like, I think that's the governmental fear, yeah, you know, organizational fear that you know, they they think they know better and they can. Well you know know, like us from (laughs) panicking.
0: Well why do why do you ban religion in a communist society? It's because you don't want any higher power than the state. So like one idea of like if there are UFOs above the US, well one, your the government's primary concern is can we get that technology and reverse engineer it, right? Everyone always wants the better technology. Well let's say we can't. Well the next best thing you want to do, you lose all credibility as big man on campus if you go and what happens if russia or china tries to fly over the united states we'll shoot them out of the sky what about this saucer that has you know just complete immunity just does whatever it wants well now all of a sudden you're not the big man on campus anymore it makes you look like a bitch right it's it's your first day in prison you knock out the biggest guy what would you do if you're a ufo you'd fly around the united states so the best thing you can do is just not acknowledge it at all And people will go, oh, I bet that's a private government project. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: There is a whole power aspect to it. So you find remnants on the moon. Maybe there's no technology. There's nothing they can get from it. What's the next thing you do? We don't want people thinking that there's something else, right? We we are the big dogs. You know, I'm the great white. You don't want the other sharks to know that the megalodon existed, right? (laughs) There's who knows man who knows i mean to me the weirdest thing would be like if you found remnants on the moon but it was not alien it was existence of an, a deep like a deep time old human civilization that maybe they underwent nuclear war and they, they, they find- didn't survive or the global warming or whatever mm-hmm. but what if you found like the great pyramids on the far side of, or what if you found like the sphinx like a matching sphinx mm-hmm. and they got there and it's like oh man like we have to have some humility like we've been this advanced before and we, and we still got go. wiped out yeah <sighs> well in the way that only paul and i can do well <laughs> we always start with this is my friend paul who swims with sharks
1: You'll and then it, it the just moon. goes and okay. now we're on
0: verna von braun i'm i gotta edit the prior podcast and this one and i gotta clean some shit around my apartment send me a text so i don't forget though about okay. the verna von braun thing i, I will send it but, to you because it is like it is worth it because it's just odd and you know and i've had charlie duke on here three times 10th man to walk on the moon and i've never i've never asked him about what's actually up there I don't want to. I don't know. How
1: could you not?
0: I don't know. It's like a sign of respect, I guess. I guess I just don't want to. Because in all reality, if there's nothing up there, and he's probably like, oh, this dumb kid, he has me who's walked on the moon, and instead of asking me about walking on the moon, it's not good enough. You got to know about the aliens. I I don't know. To me, it kind of feels like a smack in the face to him. And then if it was real, maybe he's like, please don't bring up the stuff on the moon. I don't want to die. Yeah. (laughs)
1: Yeah. (sighs)
0: <sighs> paul, <laughs> as always it was a good one my <laughs> man it's always fu- it's always fucking fun it's uh thank you again for your time thank you for coming on here my I'll, pleasure. Put, I'll put you this i'll put your website your books your photos all that good stuff it. I'll put it in the description everybody check it out and uh if you are watching please comment on what animal you think what dance of death paul should do next and, yeah i like uh, to hear that yeah and uh I'm getting bored. I'm looking for something. To do. I know, right? <laughs> Fuck that shit. I'll stay right in here. I will live vicariously through you. Okay, Paul. As always, pleasure. Fine. Thank you so much. Take care. Take care. God bless care. America. Recording stay stopped. safe, everybody. Peace.